you have your Bible, turn to Luke 18. And we're going to look at a parable told by our Lord Jesus Christ that helps us understand the essential attitude of the believer. What's the essential attitude that every believer is to have in approaching God through Christ? Well, Jesus tells us that here in, in Luke 18, beginning in verse 9. Let's read together. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. In this wonderful parable, the Lord Jesus tells us that the citizens of Christ's kingdom are characterized by spiritual humility. Spiritual humility. There are actually several scenes in this short little text. We won't be able to look at all of them this morning. But he begins in verse 9 with this problem. What was it that prompted Jesus to tell this parable in the first place, it was because there were some of those there who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. In order to correct that misunderstanding, Jesus then tells us this parable and he gives us two men, two different characters and their prayers that they bring to God. The first character, of course, is the self-righteous Pharisee and the second character is the spiritually humble publican or tax collector. Look again at how the Pharisee prays to God in verse 11. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. This was his prayer that he brought to God at the temple. Obviously, this is a man who's consumed with his own self-righteousness. He believes that by his outward actions, he has made himself worthy to come to God. He has merited God's favor because of his supposedly holy life. And just in case God has forgotten how holy he is, he makes sure in his prayer to remind God of all the many ways that he has faithfully set himself apart from the wicked sinners of the world. He even notices in the distance a tax collector. Obviously, a tax collector in this day would have been unworthy to come before God. After all, tax collectors, Jewish tax collectors, were seen as traitors. They were working for the Romans, often extorting money from their own people, outcasts. And yet, many people in our country today still have the same view of the Pharisee. If you ask a person, tell me, are you going to heaven? 
many will say, I think so. And when you say, tell me, why is it that you think that God would let you into heaven? You know what many will say? Because I'm a good person. I'm a good person. They'll admit, hey, I'm not perfect. You know, like everybody else, I make mistakes. But, you know, my good outweighs my bad, surely. And, And after all, I can think of at least 10 other people who are worse than me. No, no, surely when I get to heaven, God will see the good that I've done, and, and he will forgive the bad because the good will outweigh it. Well, in a moment, Jesus is going to give his thoughts about such a perspective. But before we get there, let's look at this second character, this spiritually humble publican in verse 13. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, Be merciful to me, the sinner. Now notice, first of all, both the Pharisee and the tax collector were standing when they pray, and yet everything is really different about these two men and their approach to God. He says that the tax collector is standing some distance away. Now remember, at this time, the temple was the place where God's presence was said to reside in the holy of holies and so if you wanted to go and and worship God you needed to at least be pointed in that direction if you really wanted to worship God you had to go there physically to the temple where God was and so both of these men come to where they know God is the Pharisee likely stood as close as he possibly could to the holy place because after all in his mind he was worthy of it But the tax collector, it said, stood some distance away. That is, you you picture him on the outskirts of the the common area outside the temple, as far back away from the presence of God as he could get. Because you understand, the tax collector knew that he had to go to God, but he also knew that he had no business being there. And so there is this confliction within him. He has to go to God. He needs God. And yet he doesn't deserve to be there. So rather than edging up close, closely to the holy place, he stands at a distance. But not only that, it says he was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. Not only was he at a distance, he, he had his, his head down. And Jesus is not, by the way, telling us that we should stand with a certain posture when we pray. Instead, this man's posture communicates his heart. It shows us what's going on within the man. He's recognizing in in conviction over his sin that he he is depraved. He doesn't deserve to be before God. He doesn't even deserve to look up to where God is in the heavens. And so he stares at the ground. But not only that, it says, but was beating his breast. This is a a verb that is an action verb. It's it's a continuous action. That he's, He's continually there standing with his head down, beating his breast. What was it that bothered this man so? What was it that vexed him to the point that he could not come near the temple, he couldn't even raise his eyes to heaven, and he sits there, stands there continually beating his chest? Well, we see it in his powerful petition to God, short and simple, but powerful. This is what he said, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. You know, there's so much theology packed into that one little description, that one little prayer. That phrase there, be merciful to me, actually is the Greek word for propitiation. 
God propitiate towards me. Now, propitiation is not a word we use all the time, but it's a crucial theological word to understand. Propitiation is the perfect satisfaction of God's wrath on the basis of an atoning sacrifice. And so what this man is praying is, God, let your wrath against me be appeased by a sacrifice. Let there be a a sacrifice that can wipe away your wrath over my sin. That's what this man is praying. Be merciful to me, God. But why? Why is he so convinced that he needs this propitiation from God? Well, listen how he, he describes himself, the sinner. Be merciful to me, the sinner. That's a very accurate translation. He doesn't say be merciful to me, a sinner. He says the sinner. And there's a world of difference between those two. Almost everyone will admit that they are a sinner, but only those who truly understand their spiritual condition will come to the place to say, I am the sinner. He's saying the same thing that the Apostle Paul said of himself in 1 Timothy 1.15 when he called himself the chief of sinners. This man doesn't come to God with any illusion that he has merited his way there, that he's done anything that God should receive. Instead, he sees himself as spiritually bankrupt, as completely and totally depraved, fully in need of God's mercy if God is to receive him. He understands that if God were to weigh and measure him in the balanced scales of God's justice, he would be found wanting. Understand, both of these men come to God and they describe themselves to God. The Pharisee describes himself to God as a righteous one whom God should receive. The tax collector describes himself as a sinner whom God cannot receive unless there is a sacrifice made on his behalf. And Jesus responds with this pronouncement. This is what Jesus thinks about these two men. Verse 14, I tell you, this man, that is the tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. The key word here is justified. It means to declare righteous. The one that was righteous in the eyes of God was not the self-righteous Pharisee, but the, the, the sinning tax collector. Because you see, justification can only come to us, this declaration, a legal declaration of righteousness, if it's because someone else paid for that. The Christian is righteous in the eyes of God, not because they in and of themselves are righteous, but because the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ has been credited to their account. And that's what this man was praying. He was praying, God, let there be an atoning sacrifice that you would credit to my account that I might be right in your eyes. Jesus says, this man, the one who humbled himself and recognized that it wasn't because of him, but because of the sacrifice of another that he could come to God. This man went home justified. Let me ask you this morning, on what do you base your confidence for eternal salvation? If we ask you that question, will God let you into his heaven? And if so, on what basis, how would you answer that question? Would you stand like the Pharisee and begin to tell us of all your good deeds, 
all the wonderful things that you have done? Or would you like the tax collector say, I stand condemned. I need the righteousness of another, the righteousness of Christ. This morning, as I said, we get to celebrate the gospel in baptism and in communion and the power of God in rain. Hopefully you can still hear me because this is, this is what I was getting to. If you've never come to a place where you have experienced what these are going to share that they've experienced, where a holy God has saved them, not because of who they are, but because of who Jesus is. And friend, this morning I would invite you to repent of your sins and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your only hope. He is the only way. You cannot be good enough. I cannot be good enough to clean myself up and present myself to God. We are hopeless unless the perfect righteousness of another is credited to us, the very righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. And if you even now will repent of your sins and put your faith in this Jesus, then you will be made new. And what these who are coming to testify of in their life are about to testify, you will be able to testify. And so if you're not a believer today, I encourage you, even now, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ today, then today is a day to celebrate. We're going to celebrate 10 different times, 10 different lives who have been transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then through communion, we're going to celebrate as a body of what Jesus has done for every single believer here. He laid down his life so that we don't have to experience the wrath of God, but can know newness of life forever. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and then we're going to begin our baptism service. And we're going to do it just a little bit different than normal. We're, st we're still going to hear the testimonies of each person, but we have videoed those beforehand. So we'll watch the video of their testimony, then they will come and be baptized. And then afterwards, we'll sing together before communion. Let me pray, and we'll begin. Lord Jesus, it is our privilege to be here this morning. For those of us in Christ... We're just reminded again of your grace that we, like the tax collector, cannot do anything to save ourselves, but we are in need of a perfect sacrifice, and you've provided that in your son. Help us now as we rejoice over these ten lives who have been transformed. May we remember the goodness of Christ, and for those who are here who may not know you, may today be the day that they come to true salvation. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.